congregation, the text for this morning's our sermon is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, the verses 22 and 23. Acts 14, verses 22 and 23. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So far. The basic needs for a young church. The basic needs for a young church. Three thoughts. The need of confirmation or strengthening, as we see in verse 22. Confirming the soul's of the disciples, secondly, the need of exhortation, encouragement. We read in verse 22, and that the and, and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And in the third place, the need of Installation. Installation of elders in this case. As you see in verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every city, in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord on whom they believed. So far. Congregation, the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas, went back, went back to that city of Lystra, of Iconium, and Antioch, they went back. Amazing. Because they had been expelled. They had been persecuted. They had been stoned. Don't go back there. That is way too dangerous. But they felt kind of, we have to. Right? That's what I see in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. They returned. Now let me tell you the entire story. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch. This is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. At that time, part of Syria. Now it is part of Turkey. Antioch. There was a Christian church there. A first in church. And we see there some people. Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, 
Menehen and Saul, they're children and they're pastors. And they ministered, they worshiped, and they fasted with prayer. Fasting with prayer. And the Holy Ghost said then, separate Paul and Barnabas to the work I've called them. So they were sent out by the congregation in Antioch for their first missionary journey. And the congregation fasted and prayed and laid hands upon them, and they went. First to Seleucia, and then they took a ship to Cyprus, and they spent some time on Cyprus, and then they had a boat again to the mainland, to Turkey. They came to Paphos and Persia and Pamphylia, and finally in a different Antioch. There are two different Antiochs in the, the, the time. And Paul Bernard preached there the first, the first to the Jews and afterwards to also the Gentiles. And they especially took time to preach the word in Antioch. And at the time, the persecution started. First they talked to the Jewish people in the synagogue. They were kind of elated and were impressed. But then the Gentiles also asked them to come and speak to them, and they did. And it was on the next Sabbath day, a crowd of people in Antioch, so many of them, all interested in the Word of God. It was a revival. It was a special time. But the Jews got upset about that. Too many people were reached by that strange doctrine, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they banned them. They expelled them. They did not want them anymore. Dangerous time. It was even so that they thought that Paul was dead. They stoned him. And they looked like that. And they took him outside the city. Dragged him. Carried him. And then they were standing around him. And he rose up again. He was alive. It's amazing. But why would they go back there? Well, there was a, a heart of love in those people. They felt they have to go back to the Christians. And they decided not to preach the word on the streets anymore. And they go back. No, not going to the synagogue any longer either. But they are going from house to house. And just in an underground way, they will preach the word of God. And they have to reach out to those young Christians. Because they're still weak in the faith. They have to go back. Because they want to confirm the souls of the disciples and exhort them and ordain elders. That was so important to them. They said, you know, whatever happens, even they risked their lives. They had to go back to those three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. They had to reach out to those young Christians in the, in, in the many houses in the city. 
see. They begin to confirm the souls of the disciples. So they are reaching out to God's people. They reach out to them that have the choice in heart already. They're born again already. We're truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ already. But they need to be confirmed. They're so weak on their legs yet. They're so wobbly. They're so ignorant. So weak yet. They need to be confirmed in that faith. Confirming the souls of the disciples. How do they do that? How do you strengthen? How do you confirm? How do you help young Christians? You tell me. Well, by preaching the word. By opening the Bible to them. To show them more of God. To show them more of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. To explain better what conversion is. To explain what holiness is. And forgiveness. And what the strive is. And what the concerns are. And the dangers. And they have to persist. So they were informed better. That is also today one of the reasons why we go to church. We go to church not only for the conversion of people. Surely we hope that. We hope that some people are starved today. And turn around. And eyes will be opened. That's one of the main reasons why we come to church. To be converted. But that's not the only thing. God's people need to come to church to be confirmed, to be strengthened, to have strength in the Lord so that Christ might increase and they may decrease so that they may may see more of the excellencies not only of God, but also the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice more, have more assurance and more stability. So many of God's people stay small, don't grow up, don't have a steadier course in this life. They're just so uncertain. And the faith may be so weak, so they need to come to church to have their faith strengthened and confirmed so that they are able to look away from self and to see more of him instead of being so focused on self and all the weaknesses to trust more in the Lord Jesus Christ to know him more, better. To also know him as the prophet and the priest and the king. To know him in his nature, the divine nature and the human nature. To know him in his benefits, in his names. There's so much to learn about God 
and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more they know, the more stable they hopefully are. That's the purpose. The Lord wants to inform his people. And the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. So he writes, he speaks to the young Christians that their faith might be confirmed. It's also one of the reasons why we have elders. Not only pastors, also elders are called to also confirm, to encourage, to strengthen God's people. For example, at house visitation. House visitation is not only there to check on them, to see how they are going, how they are doing, and to ask them to tell something about what the Lord has done, if possible. House visitation is also meant to reach out to the little ones, to them so weak in the faith, who have just begun the journey, to strengthen them, confirming the souls of the disciples. What a beautiful work, what a tender work, what a delicate work to reach out to God's people. What a blessing it is that at house visitation, the elders and the deacons can help and can strengthen and can also point out things and, and educate them more. So that's why elders and deacons and they that go to house visitation must also be trained in the word of God and grow up in the grace themselves so that they can reach out to them and can really help them. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas felt that they were so important that they risked their lives for it. They said, we have to go back. It almost was my death. They stoned me. I'm going back. Maybe they recognize me. Maybe they will kill me. So be it. I have to go back. And when they had preached the gospel, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. To strengthen. The Lord wants more, um, more insight into the doctrine of free and sovereign grace, the more insight into what the Lord Jesus has done, to have more insight into what holy gratitude is and sanctification. So the Lord is not only beginning the work of salvation, he also maintaining it. Because it is not the disciples confirming them, not only Paul and Silas confirming it, it's the Lord confirming it. And what a blessing it is. Has the Lord ever confirmed things in your life? On Sundays, in the, in, in, in the sermon, that you did not know it anymore, People of God, you were wondering, 
Has it ever been true? And you're asking, Lord, confirm it. Lord, strengthen it. Come back. Give a stamp on it. Give the Holy Spirit upon it. Give me the testimony of the Spirit in my heart. Please put a seal on it, Lord. And did the Lord do so? Confirming the souls of the disciples. It goes deep, right? It's not your head. It's your soul. Confirming the souls of the disciples. That's the soul's work. Also, examination is part of that. Because when you confirm people, you also have to bring up what is it? What is repentance? What is that sorrow? What is that brokenness? What is that feeling dependent? What is that taking refuge unto the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to also describe. Describe what is happening. What grace is about. How it feels. That people are not machines. But experientially confirming the souls of the disciples. But not only confirming, also exhorting, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. What is the difference, you think, between confirmation and exhortation? What is exhortation, anyway? Exhortation, well, let me just use an example from school. The teacher has something to do. You have to write something. Write a report about something. And he, she tells you exactly how to do it. That's how you begin. That's how you study it. That's how you put it. That's how you organize it. That's how you write it. That's how you do it. And then what? Then she says, now you know how to do it. Now do it. Now do it. And the assignment is therefore Two weeks from now, then you have to be finished. So, I told you how, and now I told you that you have to begin. That is an exhortation. And the student may say, I can't do it yet. Just try, just do it. I encourage you. Exhorting is applying some pressure. Exhorting is explaining not only how to do it, but that you have to do it. It is a prescription. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, telling them to continue in the faith, to never let go anymore. To strive to enter in into the wicked gate, to do your utmost to abide in Him. Now abide in me, 
and I and you. It's not just explaining, it is telling them. Continue in the faith. Don't let go. Strive, fight the good fight. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow up in that race. Serve the scriptures. Pray without ceasing. So the responsibilities are laid before them. Not only an explanation of the truth, but also an application. And now, repent ye. And now, flee unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now come. Now do it. Now drink. Now don't waste time. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. That is exhortation. And that exhortation is not only exhortation from the pulpit. It's exhortation also at home. Parents exhorting children. Do it. Read that Bible. Pray. Continue seeking. It's not only an exhortation of the unconverted ones, also to exhort God's people. To tell God's people to hold on. To tell God's people that they should not slack off. They should not be lazy. But that they should continue in the faith. The Lord has word faith. And now they say, keep it up and continue. Because Satan is going about as a roaring lion. Seek whom he may devour. And there are so many dangers in his life. Outside and inside. So you have to be alert. You have to keep your eyes open. That is why the disciples, I mean Paul and Barnabas, went back. They felt that God's children needed that encouragement. God's people needed that exhortation. And they also have explained the benefits of that, the promises attached unto that. That they will receive the crown of life. That they, may be eat, that they will eat of the tree of life. That they will receive life eternal. So they're reaching out to God's people, confirming and exhorting them to continue in the faith. But God's people will continue anyway, right? Because the Lord has paid for them. And the Lord has given his blood. And the Lord does not repent of what he has done. And the Lord has given grace. Nobody can take it away, right? So why? Why to exhort God's people? They're, they're God's people anyway. They always will be. I know. And yet, 
they have to be exalted. That is one of the means the Lord is using to keep it up, to let them continue. It's a means the Lord threatens his own people. The Lord is enticing his own people. The Lord gives the Lord's supper to them. He gives baptism to them to confirm and to exhort and to keep on their toes so that they have their eyes open and pray lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. That they may also have a close life with the Lord. Exhorting also at catechism classes. Exhorting. Now, young people, do it. Open that Bible. Read it. And tell the Lord your sins. Confess them. And seek to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the house visitation, there is hopefully that love. The love for people, the love for souls, the love for God's people as well. So to also talk to God's people at house of station and exhort them and say, keep it up. Draw closer. There is more. There's more to know. There's more to experience. There's the wealth. There's so many attributes in God. And in Christ, exhorting. So that's why we also exhort to come to church. And I'm happy you're here. Hebrews 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. As the manner of some is also among us, too many. But exhorting one another, exhorting not only by the pastor and by the consistory, also among the congregation, exhorting one another. I haven't seen you in church. Well, come, keep it up. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day of the Lord. It's life is serious. And they are responsible not only for ourselves and our families, but also responsible for their fellow members. Exhorting one another. So, so this morning I exhort you. Unconverted friends. I exhort you to seek the Lord, to hear his voice, not to leave your spot empty, to repent and to believe today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. But also I exhort God's people. Exhort them. And that they must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That's the normal way. The normal way is through many tribulations, through afflictions. The Lord uses afflictions as well to keep his people on their toes, to make them dependent upon him, to keep them weak in self, and that they would hold on to the Lord, 
exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. You know, the first thing, the first thought, also the need of installation. So think of the Apostle Paul and Barabbas again. And they had been in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. And they went to Derby. And they were wondering what's next. And they have prayed about it, I'm sure. And the Lord said, you have to go back. You have to go back to those dangerous cities where people might recognize you. You might end up in jail. They may kill you. But they have to go back. When they preached the gospel in that city of Derby and had taught many for the work, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Not only to confirm the faith, not only to exhort them, but also to install elders. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, so elders in Antioch, and elders in Iconium, and elders in Lystra, all those congregations needed leadership. And the Apostle Paul was concerned about it. The young congregations were without leadership. So he said, let's go back and let us confirm not only, let us also ordain elders, ordain elders. There's a word used there. It could be translated as hand stretchers. Hand stretching. What is hand stretching? Some say, like the Dutch translation, that it was an election of office bearers and that they were stretching out their hand and just lifting their hands, meaning, yes, I vote for that one. The problem is, it says, when they had ordained them elders, so they is Barnabas and Paul. So they had stretched out their hands. Not the people in favor of the certain elders were lifting up their hands. The apostle Paul and Barnabas, they stretched out their hands for the installation. So they put their hands on their head. So verse 23 is not about the election of office bearers, but it's mainly about the installation of them. So they installed, they ordained and installed elders in every church. So I take it as laying up of hands. We don't do it anymore. 
except with pastors. When they're installed the first time, they're holding in usually a Bible over their head, and we lay up hands. But what is the background of that? Well, in the Roman Catholic Church, they really thought that laying of hands was important to transfer authority. They saw something miraculous in that. You need the touch of Barabbas. You need that touch on your head of Paul. And then you also are equipped to do the work for life, they thought. Our forefathers disagreed with that. And they said the laying of hands, okay, that it's a biblical thing, but it's nothing to be transferred. There's nothing really happening. It is not a sacrament. It is only a symbol. It's only pointing out to them. Only pointing out to them that you are chosen. And then we have the impression in the New Testament that those elders were also chosen not for a period of time, but for a long time. We don't read about reinstallation. So why is that? Why do pastors, why can pastors stay for years in the church and they don't need to have a re-election? And why do elders need it? Some people say we have to abide with the church order. The church order says after three, four years it's final and we need some other people. Well, the reason is in the time of the Reformation is of a practical nature. Only for practical reasons. They have said, you know, people are moving, people are different, have different opinions, and people have different family circumstances. For practical reasons, elders and deacons need to be chosen again. But it is not a law of Medes and Persians. It is in the church order. And we try to abide with that as good as possible. But it's not in the Bible. The need of installation. And when they ordained them elders in every church, so that is the Lord's will, right? And those elders have been chosen by the Lord. And therefore we have to respect them. We even read that we may not accuse elders with one witness. When they do something wrong, you have at least you need to have two witnesses. Because the Lord is protected protective of the leadership. And he wants it to be stable. 
And when they had ordained them, elders in every, every church and had prayed with fasting. I think it says, and had prayed with fastings. So they were installed with laying of hands. And then the thing began. Then the responsibility was on the congregation. So they had ordained them in every church and had prayed with fasting. So how did they look at the installation, the ordination of elders? Was it kind of a celebration? Did they have a big meal? Did they shake hands and say, Congratulations, you are an elder now. Congratulations, what an honor for you. I'm happy for you. No. No. It was a time of fasting. They took it very serious and they did not cook much of a meal that day. And they did not eat too much that day. Maybe they had just a little bit. Maybe some water or juice. But they, the, the congregation, after they had received the elders, they fasted and prayed. So this day could be a day of fasting, right? A day of prayer, a prayer day. So to install the elders and deacons and then to have a sober day today and to spend time on your knees. Because eating is time-consuming. It means to buy the food, to prepare the food, to eat the food, to clean the tables. So sometimes you see in the Bible that people are encouraged to fast, to just take it easy and not to enjoy the food over prayer. To pray. To pray with fasting. And they commanded them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they commanded them in the, in the prayers <clears throat> to the Lord. You may want to do that as well today. You may want this afternoon to take a, a, your time to commend the elders, the deacons, and me in prayer. To commend us to the Lord. To present us to him. And say, Lord, him and him and him. And they all, we pray for them. Because we know that they cannot do the work properly themselves. They need the help. They need the unction of the Holy Spirit. They need wisdom. They need so much. They need courage. They need especially love. So pray for them. Commend them. Bring them. Present them. To the Lord, please. 
It makes so much difference. You know, I'm afraid that some people, when they're a little upset about something in church, have difficulties to commend us unto the Lord. And that something is in the way that you don't want to commend them. You want to get rid of them. But we, we, we ask you to commend them. To commend them to the Lord. On whom they believe. Who did? Paul, Barnabas, those elders, the church. I think all of them. I can choose on whom they believed. But yes, Paul and Barnabas, they believed in that God who is able to help and to equip them. Because who is sufficient to the one, the other, savior of death unto death, and to the other, savior of life unto life? And who is sufficient for these things? You know, what do you think, elders and deacons and pastors, how do they feel? Do they feel kind of, I can do it? Hopefully not. And after this, I can't. But I'm not able to. Help me. Please help me. And we need, we need the congregation to pray for us fervently. With fasting even. That's how serious it is. That's how important it is to have church leadership and also respect them for that reason. When I think of my dear father, passed away a few years ago, he raised us with respect. We were not allowed to ever talk negatively about our elders, deacons, and pastors. He always said they are chosen by the Lord. And they would say, well, that maybe not. Maybe they were not, they are not chosen. Maybe they just, it's a mistake. He would say, David spared Saul. Saul was an evil king. And David spared him because he was the anointed of the Lord. So that's why he did not kill him, even though then he was so close to it and could do it easily. He was encouraged to do that. He said, no, I can't do that. See? That's biblical. They commanded them to the Lord on whom they believed. The Lord continues with his work. And may the Lord also give us in our congregation a bond, the bond of prayer, that we may also receive the elders and deacons and pastors in our homes with prayer. And realize them, realize it that they need the Lord's help. So pray for them. And I prayed with fasting. They commend them to the Lord on whom they believe. And keep in mind, 
that the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is perfect. You don't have to pray for him. I mean, not that he would do it, that he could do it. He has done the work. And he is praying. He prays at the right hand of the Father. He prays for them that must be brought in. He prays for them that will be converted. He prays for those lost ones. And he prays for his church. And he prays also for the offices. And through him, the work will continue. Glory to God in the highest. Amen.